we've got a thing in our culture or the theatre culture anyway of especially in this country being very kind of writer centric and very actor centric um which isn't inherently bad but what that means is that we get into a habit of kind of serving the play and serving the play and the text and the writer above everything else but actually like directors have got stuff to say to me are artists too and auteurs too and I think sometimes it's quite exciting when you can see what a director's done. Hello and welcome to the Chosen Daughter podcast with me Maz O'Connor. I'm a singer and a songwriter and this podcast is a series of conversations that I had with artists about their work, their process and creativity in general. So this episode is actually the final episode of this series of the podcast, so thank you for listening. This conversation is with Tinika Craig, who is a theatre director and my good friend also. Um, to give you a bit of background about this conversation, uh, it took place about a year ago when Tinu had just finished directing Random and Generations at the Chichester Festival Theatre, which was a double bill of plays by Debbie Tucker Green. And it was amazing. So we talk a bit about that. We also talk about a place she directed called I Call My Brothers, which was at the Gate Theatre in Notting Hill, and Dirty Butterfly, which was at the Young Vic, also by David Green. And since then, Tinu has directed The Colour Purple at the Birmingham Hippodrome on the Leicester Curve, and Vassa at the Almeida Theatre in London. She is also directing this year's pantomime at the Lyric in Hammersmith, which I'm seeing very soon. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of context about what we're talking about and we do cover a lot of interesting subjects about being a director, being an artist, trying to stay sane amongst all of that. So enjoy. Hi! Um, can you just tell us for anybody that doesn't know who you are and what you do? So my name is Tinika Craig and I'm a theatre director. Mm. That was like a nice simple answer. Yeah, it was really simple. Sometimes, sometimes I ask people and they're like, well, it's kind of... You know, in many ways, I'm a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look. So, I mean, what don't I do? I'm um, lots of things, but mostly, for the most part, I'm a theatre director. I direct the plays. Okay. <laughs> um, I wonder whether many people um, really know what that means. Mm. As in, really know what a director, yeah. what their role is. Um, yeah, okay. I sometimes wonder, I don't know if you agree, but I wonder if like, if the director has done a good job, you probably don't notice. I disagree, yeah. but I know why Yeah. I know why you have but said you that. But you notice if they've done a bad job, was, what, was the end of that sentence? Yes. Tell me why I'm wrong. I think that, I think that is often the case if you're working naturalistically. Okay. If you, I think if you're working naturalistically, you, you... Which means? Which means that the, I don't know, say the set, if, if it's set in a house, then the set looks like a house, yeah. And maybe the and the work is maybe kind of quite photorealistic in terms of what's happening on stage. There's nothing kind of expressionistic about it or kind of abstract about it. Okay. Um, or abstract is maybe a word that I throw around without meaning it sometimes. But I think if you're making work that feels quite uh, traditional, I suppose, then the um, then absolutely, I think that applies that idea that when you don't, when you can't see the director's work, it's because they've done a really good job of making you feel like what you're, what you're watching is like this really real thing. You're just watching real life, and you just feel yeah. like that was sort of so beautifully, organically, truthfully created. Yeah. And you can't see the strings; it just feels real. 
and on those shows when you can see the strings to extend this weird puppet analogy that I'm doing. Um, <laughs> bear with me. Shows a puppet, right? But like, <laughs> if you can see the strings on a plate, on a piece that's meant to feel truthful and real, like you've walked into the living room with real living, breathing people who continue to live after you leave, then being able to see the strings is quite a bad thing because then it, it ceases to feel real, it starts to feel artificial. Whereas a good director in that context, in that context, will kind of make you feel like they were never there, when of course they were there loads making that happen. But I think actually, if you work in a way that is in any way formally experimental, there's a danger that you. I think we've got something. We've got a thing in. I was going to say a problem. Maybe it's not a problem. We've got a thing in our culture or the theatre culture anyway, of, especially in this country, being very kind of writer-centric, very actor-centric, um, which isn't inherently bad, but what that means is that we get into a habit of kind of serving the play and serving the play and the text and the writer above everything else. But actually, like, directors have got stuff to say to me, are artists too and auteurs too. And I think sometimes it's quite exciting when you can see what a director's done. You can sort of see kind of what a director wants to say about that. Yeah. play like why they've done that and what they what they've chosen to pull out of that piece what they've chosen to kind of highlight or exacerbate I think can be quite exciting and of course there are kind of big bombastic directors who make huge kind of visual gestures and stylistic gestures and sometimes that can be so exciting like watching I mean I think an example that a lot of us talk about at the moment is Ivo van Hove whose name I may completely have said wrong but he van Hove van Hove van Hove <laughs> That guy, yes. you know, his production of Ethan Bridge, which is sort of the big kind of famous one that we talk about a lot in the industry, is a beautiful play, really well directed, and really well acted. But the thing about it is he's gone, this is what I think of this play. This is what I think this play is. And you're watching something and you're, you're seeing his, it rains blood in that play. That's not in the script, it's the oh, best bit. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's the best bit and it's because you're watching someone who's really, really distilled what that play is for them. Yeah, okay. So, um... So yeah, I think it can be. So is that is is that what a director does? That they they kind yeah. of bring out, or they they it's how the story is told. Yeah, they just. It's, I think uh, so. I can't remember who said it. I think it was quite. A, maybe it was Nick Heitner, somebody, someone who ran the National at some point, of that kind of class of directors is either Richard O or Nick Heitner. Maybe it was Trevor Nunn. Someone in that kind of vibe. Yeah said you know ultimately as a director you are the decider which sometimes I think is really simplistic but actually I kind of can't really I kind of something in me wants to challenge that but actually I think that's right I think that is the job and sometimes the decision is right this place set in a kitchen and what I want to do is I want to make a completely realistic kitchen and I want it to look like it's a painting or a film set and I want everything to be sort of like intensely naturalistic intensely truthful and that's my vision and that's my gesture I think that's as much a gesture as I'm going to have it rain blood at this point. Um, but you've got to make that decision and it's got to be really clear. And I think it is about pulling out pulling out the essence of a play or what you think the essence of that play is or what that play could do now. I, right, and that is going to be yeah. your interpretation. Yeah, I think, I think it must be. to that play yeah. is specific to mm. your experience in the world and how you've yeah. read the play and what you want to use the play as a role of book. Yeah, no, but I think you do what sometimes. You, yeah, yeah, what you want to use the play to say. Yeah, and what you want to do to that room. I think what you want that what you want that audience experience to be, or what you think this play could do to that room. 
I think. And sometimes that's really hard, you know, because I think sometimes you go, because something you know, we I think we what like young directors or emerging directors often get asked when they're applying for things is the sort of like why this play, why you, and why now, um, which are really good questions. Yeah, that are really hard to answer because sometimes the answer is look, I just think it's a really good story and I want to do it, and that can be quite. And it I can don't be know quite, why, but I just instinctively. I just think it's really good, to. and sometimes it's you know, and also like this is maybe kind of less kind of credible, but sometimes it's just like, it's really funny. People love to laugh. Let me do it. Do you know what I mean? Let me just bring the people to Hi, it's me again. Hope you're enjoying this conversation so far. One of the things I talk about a lot with my artist friends is mental health and how difficult it is to maintain good mental health when you're working in the creative industries. Apart from your work being precarious and financially insecure, you also put a lot of yourself on the line when you work in the arts. And that can be really challenging. But Tinu has a really interesting perspective on anxiety in particular, which she shares with us in this next part of our conversation. I think that the anxiety I have about the process of making the work is still there and is maybe always going to be there. But what I have come to accept more recently is that maybe, and I'm sure some a third person told me this is a deeply unhealthy conclusion to draw, but maybe my maybe anxiety is a really fundamental part of my process. Oh, right. I think maybe I, if I think about the work that I felt quite good about all the way through, it's never my best work. And the work that I've lost sleep over has always been my best work. Oh my god, let's talk about that. Oh, was that? I know, mean? right? I mean, if I think about the work that I've been in a constant state of, I'll leave a house feeling quite anxious. About not, whether it's even going to work. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about also how, I'm gonna do, how am I going to do this? And is it going to, like, you know, and is it going to fail? Whatever that means. I've always, it's always been much better than the work that I've been like, yeah, I've got this. <laughs> yeah. It, like, ultimately, the end result has always been generally more successful Why? when I've been in a panic mode. Well, I think because the anxiety makes me obsess and the obsession means that I'm working with just a, a much greater amount of rigour mm. than when I feel like I know what I'm doing. Because if I feel like I know what I'm doing, I'm not going to interrogate what I've done because I feel like it's right. Right. And I think actually, I, I, I think I my instincts are good, but my my sort of development and interrogation Better. Okay. So actually, my first idea is I think there are some directors I know, some directors who just go, "Oh, how about this?" And that's you know they're sort of like they just work in a way where their brains just throw out images and ideas. And I don't think my brain is quite like that. I think I have to do a lot of picking apart, picking apart, and what if it's this? I feel like I say, "What if it's this?" in the room a lot. Oh, I don't know. Maybe what if it's? How about if it was? I say that a lot in in my room. And then try it. And then we try it and it doesn't work, we try it. Maybe everyone does that, but I think, yeah, I haven't directed professionally enough to really make this claim, but I will say that the shows that I felt the most terrified about and cried about and gone home and not been able to really talk to anyone because I'm so worried about are also the shows that I've watched on the other end of the process and been like, yeah, no, we did we did get there. I mean, because I think so much of directing is about um, running, you. Like, like we talk a lot about how you run your room and I think I'm I don't know your rehearsal room. yeah your rehearsal room and we sort of, sort of shoot that what are they like in the room da, 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 da. and I think 
I've started to really kind of hone in on what my room is. And part of what it is, is a really a stage management team and an assistant director who are really active participants that I can feel like I have. I need to feel like people have my back all the time. I mean, the last show I did, I had I had such a specifically brilliant stage manager on that show, or DSM on that show, Naomi, who was just so brilliant at making, like, she's so good at empowering the director that she's working with. Mm. And that was such a nice relationship, because on paper, her relationship is very uncreative, or potentially, her job, sorry, is really uncreative, potentially. But actually, like, someone, like, just to have someone in the room who just knows how that whole thing works mm. in a really practical way and also a really creative way. Yeah, it changes everything. It changes mm. absolutely everything. So I'm hoping that that is how I will manage my potentially yeah. worrying thing about anxiety fueling and my work. I think work. that's a really wise and mature kind of place to get to as well. Because I, I think so. it's something you can feel like, well, I don't know if you felt like this, I felt like mm. this, it's like you have to do it all on your own. Yeah. And you kind of have to be bulletproof. Like yeah. If you're not, it's your fault. Like, yeah. You know, rather than just like, everybody's got their shit. Yeah. Like, know what you're good at, know what you need a bit of help with. Mm. Accept that you've got some things that you find difficult and you, you might get upset or yeah. whatever. And that doesn't make you less worthy. Yeah. Like, you know, but and just it doesn't, kind Yeah, of it doesn't make you a cheat. That. I think I often used to worry that that's cheating. You have to do it all yourself, otherwise yeah, you're not really a director. Yeah, you otherwise you're not Otherwise you won't, otherwise you're not really a director, you know, yeah. like, you know. And actually a big part of it is, mm. this is like my big epiphany at the moment, to yeah. collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. And like, it's just surrounding yourself with the people who are going to have, Bring like, the, the ideas. Yeah. And it goes back to that kind of decider thing. Like, actually I've had to get, I've had to kind of like, really accept that actually, sometimes what you're doing is you're gathering people around you who are going to have the best idea and then your job is to decide. It's not necessarily your job to come up with the idea. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just to be like, that's great, let's run with that. But that's pretty mature to let to let that happen because a lot of people yeah. that um, have something to prove yes. would need it to be their idea and they would choose their own, their idea over somebody else's idea which is better. Yeah, I think there know, are people just, who do that. Just yeah. because it's your idea. Yeah. And like yeah. I find that difficult about collaboration, like to get out of that like mm. let the ego go and be like, now that that lyric is better. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't I, come up with it. Yeah. And I'll deal that deal with that in my journal later yeah but, like, yeah. but for now just walk, great. take a walk like, and think about that talk to my friend about it. No, I think, yeah and isn't it more important that the thing is the thing that we make it's just really yeah good. it's just about because like with like with when you're collaborating ultimately it's about it's about the song right it's about the piece of music yeah just make a good song you just have to and like in a way you almost have to imagine that you're not making it you have to just be like right I feel like I often go back to that uh, audience member thing the same thing I thought when I thought oh, the very first thing I directed and thought oh, I just want to see it is just sort of taking yourself away from it and being like what would I rather see mm. like in this piece of work when it's on what's going to be better to see or what's preferable to see and then if it's your idea Yatsu but it might not be your idea mm. and that's okay and that's a big part of being I think a really a really good and confident artist yeah and yeah is, running your room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and is to, to know that your ego is not the most important thing. Yeah, it can't be. It Bringing can't be. those people together and facilitating those ideas is yeah. a massive skill and stuff. Yeah, and it can't be if you're trying to, if you're, I mean, it's so easy to make theatre for the wrong reasons. But if you're making it for the right reasons, I think it's, it's, it's actually quite, I find it quite easy to come back to that. Because I'm just like, right, why is this play on? 
why am I doing it? What am I trying to do with it? Or what are we trying to do with it more likely? And if you can nail that, then actually the answers yeah, kind of, they just, they, they follow quite quickly. You go, well, oh, right, well, it's obviously this. you say, like, the right reasons, yeah. obviously that's different for every play, right? Mm -hmm. But what, what yeah. do you mean kind of generally by that? I think I mean, I think for me, doing a play for the right reasons are doing a play because it's going to have some kind of beneficial impact on the people who see it. Um, and that and that, that, I suppose it's easy to talk about the wrong reasons. I think the wrong reasons are because you, you're a director, so you better direct, because otherwise you're not a director, um, yeah. which I think is so easily done. I've definitely done, like, especially like one thing that a lot of directors do when they're starting out is they do a lot of like 10 minute shorts, like lots of scratch nights, sort of things like that. And some of those are really brilliant and some of those aren't. But I found myself, I had to make a rule of myself to stop doing them because I realised that a big part of why I was doing them was to be able to say to people when they said, what are you up to? Oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing this 10 minutes short somewhere. Um, but I think, yeah. So the that's more, the wrong reasons I like. Yeah. About you. I think the wrong reasons are, yeah, it's about you and look, you, you've got to make a living. So, you know, I guess there is, sometimes you do have to do them. But like, I think they can be quite cynical reasons for putting plays on that normally so normally centre around. Well, lots of people will come and see it, and if lots of eyes have been on this play, then I guess that means it's a hit. Um, but I think you have to kind of interrogate kind of what those people with their eyes on the play are going to take away, what's useful to them, what's beneficial to them, and the the benefit might be you just had a really good night out, actually. Like, and I think there's real space for that. I really value, I really value the good night out plays. Probably because I got into theatre via big old good night out musicals. But I think, yeah, if you can come back to that, even the good night out thing, which feels maybe kind of the most, it's maybe the most simple, the answers can still all follow from that quite quickly. Yeah, because that still is, I mean, all of those um, reasons are generous. Yeah. Because the wrong reasons are selfish and the right reasons are generous. Yeah, that's it. It's just got to be, yes, you just have to be generous. And I think, in whatever that means, yeah, so like it might mean give them a good thing. night, yeah, or it might mean like share this story. Or yeah, exactly. Or you change, you you change minds about something, yeah. and also you know, like it's the it's the play, it's the audience. The last plays that I did, the shows at Chichester, I think played in a very particular way because they are at Chichester Festival Theatre than they would have played had they been at the Empire. And there's a benefit, the set of benefits that you're you're you're, you're trying to achieve are different. In knowing what the yeah, knowing what the audience is going to be, a complete, you know, because I think this is a really wanky and maybe not entirely sophisticated analogy, but like if you're making, if you think of like theatre making as like, and all art making, but maybe it's slightly more immediately obvious in theatre making, is that you, you're making like a cake or like a soup. You've got all the ingredients yeah, for your one, soup. Yeah, quite different. Yeah, let's go for a soup. Okay. Cause like I don't want a soupy cake. Yeah, why not? Or Gross. Yeah. Soup. So you're making a soup. Is that the right one? Hey, we'll find out. <laughs> you're making a soup, and you've got the ingredients that you've come with already, and you've got the ingredients of uh, you, the director, and the ingredients of the actors, and the ingredients of all your ideas. And if you've done your job right, all these ingredients will um, blend together really nicely as kind of base ingredients. Because also in part of your soup. job as the director yeah. is choosing the ingredients. Yeah, exactly. And, choose the and that's a big part of your job yeah. that happens way before you get to rehearsals, like picking who's going who's gonna to make the show. Because I was thinking, like, as yeah. you're describing the soup, yeah. 
some ingredients don't go that well together. Yeah, Already exactly. I'm nervous, but yeah. you've done that sure. work. Before. So you go in, say you've got this far, and so far your soup tastes the ingredients great. The should work. But then, the, but then it's like someone goes, oh, by the way, I've got to tell you, the main ingredient in this soup is a mystery ingredient which will only turn up on first preview, and that's the audience. And they turn up, and... You just have like a big, and it's and it's not their fault. You have to have made the kind of soup that's gonna. You have to slightly guess what that ingredient is gonna be, and hope that the soup that you've made is gonna like the flavors you've currently got in the soup are gonna complement this massive, big bit of Stilton that we're gonna chuck in the middle of the soup or something. And they can completely change what that feels like in the room. If they turn up and they are a particular demographic, it's gonna change everything in the room. If they turn up and it's been raining it changes everything in the room like mm. if we turn up and it's during a moment of national joy it's gonna be great if it's a matinee it feels different to if it's an evening mm. and you have to try and try you're trying to make something robust enough to hold as many of those people as possible and the only way you but can you do that is think about the benefits just be like i don't fucking care what mm. like this is the soup and i don't care if you like it because this soup just take it yeah. you need to eat it yeah they're now eating the soup before they were going in the soup yeah but like i don't whether know whether it tastes good or not yeah because this it, is the soup i don't know do you ever, do you ever feel tempted to do that or yeah is that just a bit i think i do i think i often feel like that at some point in rehearsals because it's got it, it how yeah I want yeah and also yeah because it because it's is because I, I feel like yeah, when I say you're thinking about the audience and what they want to see and stuff, you still you've still got to go via your taste for that. I think I think you can't second guess other people's reactions. So I, I don't think it's about sitting down being like, "All right, so I just feel like these kind of people like this kind of thing." Mm. It's you're you're the you're the imaginary audience member when you when you do that work, or I am when I do that work. But um, yeah, you have to have the integrity to kind of stand by the work that you've made, but you also have to know that they're gonna. They will, they will change it one okay. way or another. So it's not like you're necessarily like catering to that. Unfortunately, yeah. that's a word given the analogy. Um, sure, but... it was great. <laughs> but it, it's just you're being aware. Yeah, you just got to be aware they're going to change it in quite a big way. And I mean, you know, this the last piece I did was about knife crime in London, specifically Black London, and that would play very differently to Black teenagers in London as it than it will to the the OAPs of quite a privileged town in Sussex, and. Can you just give, an, give mm. us an example of like a moment in the process when yeah. that might become pertinent? In, yeah. In the decisions that you're making mm. with your architect, because it's this is a play you just yeah. want to correct, like yeah. a dialogue. There's quite a few. I think there's some very practical ones. Mm. There's a moment where, spoiler, the brother dies and the sister is uh, asking, is talking to the police who've just told her that her brother's been stabbed. Mm. And she's talking to the police about it and she says, how do you know he's, I'm gonna get the lines wrong, but it's like, how do you know he's not just late? How do you know he's not with his friends? How do you know he's not with his spars? And then the imaginary police officer asks what spars means. She goes, you know, man, them mates, brethren, no, not a gang. And if we were doing that in London, that might have been much more of a kind of knowing, no police, not a gang, trust you to think that. Right. And when that show did tours around schools, there was a sense of like, oh god, they always think that about yeah, us. Yeah. Whereas actually, when we did that in Chichester, she ended up, she ended up, we ended up, I ended up deciding, and she ended up doing that. She'd properly look someone in the eye on the assumption that they had thought that, Ooh. 
and say no, not again, like and clarify it in that way, which wouldn't have meant anything to an audience in London because. So not in a combative way necessarily. Yeah, not in a, in a like an explanatory. Yeah, way. more in a kind of like just to kind of like before I know like just to kind of go. I I think I have a sense of what this audience are going to think, and I'm just going to nip that in the bud before we go any further, so that we can all go on the same journey. Yeah. I think, which is you know, again presumptuous, and maybe no one in the audience was thinking that. Maybe that was a wildly um, inaccurate assumption. Although I think yeah. probably we were right. Um, so there's that, but also like, I mean, it's quite quite boring things like we had to make the accent slightly less strong because they didn't understand it you know there's, there's quite okay practical things like that but um but then also like you know i did a show about um the impact of terrorism specifically on muslim people living in european cities and the play was set this is i call my brothers and it was set in a european city the day after a terrorist attack and it follows a young asian Muslim appearing man around a city and his kind of how he takes the, the town in, how he feels like the town is looking at him with what's going on in the news around him. And I think had we done that play, there was a night where we had like quite a lot of young Muslims came to see it and there was also a night where we did it for just teenagers and then for the rest of the time we were doing it for sort of the gate punters who were more diverse than the Chichester punters but the audience is not that diverse in the grand scheme of things. Um, and it had it played so differently because teenage boys especially know what it's like to be followed around a shop in a way that the general residents of Notting Hill don't so when we did it on the youth night all the stuff about him being paranoid in shops was funny it was really funny and then the actor could play that a little bit more kind of like in a way that's slightly more kind of alive to that response because they're not taking it as a traumatic thing in the same way. Maybe, or maybe they, they realise that that's a traumatic thing to have happen over the course of your life, but to see yourself reflected like that can sometimes be really kind of heartwarming, mm. even if it's yourself reflected in a way that you wish you weren't often portrayed. It gives you a chance to release. Yeah, and a sense of recognition that people see you, people know how that feels. Someone has written a play about how you feel. That's always really nice. Um, but you do, that, you do that for a different audience who are those people who follow people around the shop, who are the people who close their hold their bags a bit closer or something or whoever they are and that same scene isn't funny at all right mm. that same scene is, is an accusation and a moment to say think about how you treat people so yeah they really does proper change like a, yeah does it feel like a, a to go back to um for the chichester example mm. does that feel like a compromise to you or does it just mm. feel like the right the right way to tell the story in that context no because i just think there's different Again, it's about what, what's the benefit of doing it here now right. with these people. And there's a huge benefit, I think, to making... There were some reviews of the show that were quite like, this isn't these aren't the people who should be watching this play. That were kind of like, I think, written in the spirit of a kind of wokeness and an allyship. And I, I think maybe what they had meant was there are other people who should be seeing this play. But actually what was written was these people shouldn't be watching this play. And if that's what they meant, then I really disagree because I think there's huge value in presenting in that in that particular case stories of the disempowered to the status quo. Yeah. It's like those are the people who like are gonna make for me, like a lot of people were like, really that show in Chichester, odd choice. And I get that. But actually I thought like, you know, those those people, are, these are the kind of people who run the country. 
all these children around the country or who are in adjacent to people who run the country or who when they write letters to their MP get taken seriously. They need to know what it feels like for the kind of people that they might currently be dismissing. Mm. Or they might think they have particular presumptions about. And a woman came up to Petra the actor afterwards one of the shows and said, I just, and what she said was that she won't, she sees these articles in the paper about a kid who's been stabbed. And you look at it and you turn the page. And she's like, I'll never turn the page again. I'll always read it now because I know what that is now. I'll never be able to watch the news in the same way. And I think she was a bit like, <laughs> you've put a bit of a burden on me because now I have to like, now I will feel things you when I see, <laughs> you've made me feel things. But also like, you know, God, so you know, I'm so busy. And now, and now I have to empathize with people whose children have been murdered. What? But, um, it's not what I signed up for. Yeah. But, and, but she also meant it in a kind of like, God, I, you know. You did a great job. Yeah. And also that was a whole gap in my, that was a part of my brain that was switched off and now you've turned it on. So it's be, it's, being an artist to you or being a director to you, is that, is it political to you? Yes, but kind of small P political. Yeah. And I think, yeah, because if I'd done that show in London, it would have had a different benefit. It would have been those communities seeing themselves on stage in a way that they didn't always get to do. It would have been about having your experience reflected back at you in a way that was truthful and non-judgmental, mm. and um, it wouldn't have been an educational experience in the way that I think it ended up being in Chichester. It would be yeah. a kind of moment of kind of catharsis and recognition. Yeah. Um, it would have done something else, but I think that still would have been, yeah, kind of small people political because it is about. Um, so different isn't it I think a lot of the work I've made previously has been quite caught up with identity politics for want of a better word quite issuesy plays that's sort of what I'm asked to do and I made maybe um, the next couple of things I do might be quite different from that yeah. and we'll see if I can do that maybe I can't do that yeah. but we'll see but I think um yeah, I don't think it's... No, can I change my answer? I don't yeah. think it's always... No, I don't think it's always political. Can I change my answer? Can I change my answer, please, Raz? Because <laughs> sometimes it's just about... Um... No. Oh, God, I don't know the answer. Not that there's a right answer. I'm just trying to think, yeah, what yeah. do I think? Sometimes I feel like I'm making something or I'm working in a way that feels profoundly political and about changing minds or changing lives or exposing a part of the world to a part of a human experience to someone who needs to see that exposed in some way or another. And that sounds quite kind of, the reason I feel anxious about that is because that feels quite hectoring. Okay. That feels like you guys are going to sit down and you're going to go to the theatre because it's good for you, damn it. Oh, okay. And I, I reject that a little bit. Yeah. It's got to be an exciting night, I think. Yeah. It's got to take you away from yourself. It's got to bring you something. It's got to give you something other than a, a lesson. Yeah, a lesson. I think sometimes people go to the theatre, but like they go to church. You know, like they yeah. don't sort of like people have been going to church for years and years and years, and maybe they don't really believe in it anymore. But they've just always gone, so they keep going, and they know that and on some level it's kind of yeah. But they know on some level it's kind of good for them. You know, mm-hmm. it's probably making them better somehow. Yeah. And I think that doesn't. Yeah, I want my work to be like a sort of like big old storefront Pentecostal church. Okay. As opposed to a kind of see the duty duty bound church, wherever possible. Well, but, even um, if you don't believe in God, you'll still have a good time. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But you can turn up. Yeah, you can turn up as a straight up atheist. Yeah. But someone will give you a tambourine and have a bit of a dance. Okay. And you'll leave feeling connected to other people as a result. Right. But if you want the message, it's there for you if you want. Yeah, exactly. And you'll get. And if you want that message, you can get it in any. You'll get it in any. You'll get it in a very Dawa Baptist environment and you'll get it in a big old evangelical environment yeah, yeah, you'll you, get it through feelings yeah like, and you'll get it wherever you go because you always you already believe in it you know? yeah yeah um, but I guess I meant in your Pentecostal yeah theatre that whatever we do feel we or whatever we do come away thinking it's um, we've got that through empathy and through feeling yeah totally which, and understanding and a yeah. connection to people around you yeah which is what I like about it over something like film I guess not that I've ever worked in a film, I have a really clear sense of it, but I do I do love the gathering of people thing. I do love the idea that you sit and you watch that with a hundred other people or a thousand other people. Yeah. I think that's quite important mm. to the craft, to kind of what it is ultimately. Yeah, is it political? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes. Yeah. Not always. I mean I guess I mean political and it's with a small pain in the sense of like I I feel like um in my field and people can be a bit snobby about um, what a song's about and like they yeah. want a song to be about something mm-hmm. serious or something real or something that happened and I write songs like that and I love songs like that but also sometimes you want to write a love song mm. um, or about a song about having a really nice time with some people or a great night out or yeah. whatever and that's that to me is equally um, valid because what you, as long as you're moving people yeah, that to me is a political act because it's it's not it can't be um, monetized. Like yeah, it can't, it's a value like mm. above and beyond the normal way we have of valuing things. Like yeah, you can't place a price on that. Mm. It's just about connecting and it's about opening people up. And if you can just help people to connect with themselves and with other people, and you just like let's just like let's just be emotional together yeah I mean, that's pretty good okay well in that, that in that case okay to be emotional yeah in a lot of settings particularly in that instance i would say like within i think that's that, what i mean by political i think by those by those by that kind of set of descriptors then yes what a lovely windy rambly road of a conversation that tanu and i have gone down so far Uh, In this next bit, we're going to talk about the process of directing a play from start to finish. I really learned a lot. I have been friends with Tinu a long time, but as I'm sure you know, it's not really uh, appropriate to ask your friend in a social setting to explain their job um, in full detail. So it was great for me to be able to finally be able to do that here and learn a bit more about directing. Can I I just ask you, like, just for like... 101, directing 101 for people who don't know, mm-hmm. including myself. Yeah. From the minute you get a job, mm-hmm. so let's maybe just like take the Chichester job. Yeah. You get offered it, whatever that process is, mm-hmm. right? You've got it. It's yeah. going to be on, mm-hmm. I don't know, three months from now. Yeah, on this day. Yeah. What do you do? So, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing you do is you put together your creative team. And your creative team at uh, at a professional level beyond fringe will almost always include the following people, which is your designer who designs the set and maybe the costumes as well. Sometimes on very big productions you have a costume designer and a, set, and a set designer, but generally speaking it's the same, increasingly it's the same person in, like, in the industry. It tends mm-hmm. to be the same person more often than it used to be. Um, 
if you are at the kind of theatre that has an assistant director, we have an assistant director, a lighting designer, a sound designer, and maybe there's some kind of special or kind of speciality thing attached to your production, like maybe you need a movement director or a choreographer mm-hmm. or a musical director, or maybe it's set in Ireland, you need a dialect coach or stuff, something like that. But all the all the professionals who are going to come into the room and help um, make the show in a very practical way. And then you and the casting director are going to cast it so as a series of auditions, which can sometimes be a really lengthy process and sometimes be a very quick fire. You just call up an agent and offer it to somebody and they take it or they don't take it. Or it can be a lengthy bringing somebody back and doing multiple well, even auditions. Even to get to the point of like casting people, like we mm. read the play like many times. Oh God, yeah, that. Yeah, You've so had... like you read the play. Because you have to know what you're looking and for. And actually yeah. that happens before you get the job. They say would you read this play? It might be a play that we want to put on and you might be the person we want to direct it. And then you read it and you have some thoughts about it. And those thoughts might be, this is a play that is not for me and then that's the end of the story. Or I'd love to do it and I'd like to do it like this. Or this is my response to it. I have a response to it. Um, So that bit's happened already. But you are, over the course of all this, sort of choosing people to work on it and auditioning, you're reading it as much as you possibly can sitting down and reading it and some people I like to sort of like set myself particular tasks and exercises for every time I read it that's partly because I've got a really short attention span and I need like controlled environments like you're gonna read it this time yeah this time I'm gonna gonna read it and I'm just going to look for like key plot points that's like I'm gonna look for big events in the play and that's all I'm really looking for this time I'm gonna read it and I'm just gonna look for kind of historical context for research or like I'm just going through it for questions that I'm gonna write down and then try and answer later or I'm just going through it for kind of character information about this character in particular, or, or whatever. Right, okay. Um, and the more time you have, the more of that. What you have do you got, like a big folder or something? I've got a notebook that I scribble in yeah. in a way that's not as organised as I would like it to be. But I. Oh, who knows right. what's happening? Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's sort of happening kind of under. And a lot of that stuff, once you've got a designer, a lot of that stuff is happening in design meetings. I like the kind of designers who sort of think of it like directors. So you're sort of sitting there talking about the story and going, okay, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. Or, you know, I feel like, like with, uh, with Random, we, there's like a very particular challenge, which is that theatre is on three sides and it's a one person show. And so there's a very clear thing, very, very quickly, very practical challenges. She can't, she has to keep moving for the entire show because otherwise people won't be able to see her face. Um, And then the design is kind of born out of that and the way that it's designed then informs the kind of production we're going to make. And Yeah, really nice. And those can be really enjoyable collaborations when when they're right. They're brilliant. And then you're doing design deadlines. So you're building little, well, you're not. The designer is making model boxes and showing that to the theatre on to deadline casting and your t- depending on the kind of director you are maybe you're prepping rehearsals in quite a methodical way like you're going okay we're gonna do this for a week and this for a week and this for two days or maybe you're slightly more free flow and you just go in and see what happens based I, on the work that you're doing between time yeah like, exactly and also like you've got like you probably for most people work in another job <laughs> practically in that yeah. time as well um if you've got an assistant director and you're the kind of person who uses your assistant director you're meeting up with them a lot and doing lots of kind of just talking about for me I just need I just need people to talk to about it so I'm just I just talk about it a lot but if I was there's a play that I'm working on the moment that I might do at some point which is uh, old and Russian 
so then actually a lot of the work is really practical it's really just like what was Russia like in 1909 and what does that mean and what kind of thing were they wearing and what was the kind of role of the mother in the household because it's going to be different from my impression of it now and that's going to change the whole dynamic of the piece and that kind of stuff yeah it's I love it when you've got yeah when you've got the time it's great and I think I really love that about directing is one of the things one of the like things about my job that I it's a bit of a kind of byproduct but I really like it is the fact that you spend lots of time working on your own lots of time working on other people it's a really nice balance you and you alternate pretty consistently between lots of nerdy time in the library to lots and lots of people in the room and I think that's quite a nice thing about because you get to do those two parts of your brain I think yeah so once you've cast mm. it then, then the rehearsals yeah. start then rehearsals start and then rehearsal rooms are funny places people run their rooms so differently some people are really kind of like game based and they do like play loads of games and do lots of exercises and maybe they spend a huge amount yeah to like bond the cast and like I do some if it's a big cast I probably would do that um and then some people are very kind of like like a lot of directors I know like all sit around the table with the script for like a good week yeah like a whole week going through it and you know doing very kind of drawing a lot of lines with rulers under (laughs) different bits of that's a chunk of text and that's another unit of text and all give t- titles to it and, and have quite oh, clear kind of clear yeah. kind of methods um i do i do i do that if it's a really naturalistic play but a lot of the work i've done recently has been slightly more formally experimental and actually it's really hard to do that kind of work on those kind of plays because mm. they don't really they can't you can't really hold them in that structure in which case i like to kind of do little bit of work in the first week I'm doing I mean I, I work really short days in the first week first of all is something and that's partly an anxiety thing for me I can't kind of just do I can't do all day I freak out and also I've discovered so much about the play in that first week that about, to- yeah about halfway through the day I'm like oh my god so many things have come up that I couldn't have thought of on my own that what I really need is for everyone to go home now at three o'clock so I can just go home and spend three hours thinking about it so I do a lot of that in the first week but also, I just play a lot of games and I do a lot of like, we're just going to sit and write, we do a bit of writing, we're just going to write stuff down about what we think the character's day is and work out really practical things. Like, um, in random, everything happens over the course of one day and we want to be really particular about the time. So we wrote a kind of big old 9am, 10am, 11am, all the okay. way through to midnight. And then we mapped what we thought everybody might be doing. At all those points and sort of got a little post-its out and stuck at them all so we could have a really clear like visual representation of what the story is i do a lot of kind of like stuff that feels a bit like scoring the play actually kind mm-hmm. of like the rhythm of it and the like what's the kind of visual arc of that play is it does it kind of rumble for a little bit and then is it quite spiky or does it do a very clear kind of diagonal upward trajectory is that kind of play kind or of like like dramatic yeah yeah like dramatically does it go it starts and it gets faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and then bang blackout or is it a slightly more watery slightly more kind of like is it like a spiky zigzag of a play or is it like a little bit more of a kind of floaty wave oh that sounds so wanky no, no, so it's in my it's head but i think like yeah. sort of working out kind of like what what it is like what is it what are we handling here and I, I will have worked that out a little bit before I go into the room, and then all a lot of the work I, a lot of the work I will have done with my assistant and my designer, or with my assistant especially about what I think the play is, gets kind of exploded and discredited the second you get in the room and, yeah. 
an actor reads it and you go, oh no, of course not, of course it's not that, it's that. So you kind of have to do it again. Um, and kind of getting through the whole story, I try and get through the whole play a couple of times in that first week. Really? Yeah. Just like get uh, so you're looking looking at it in quite a big picture kind of way. I'm quite an outside in director. I do I tend to kind of like do the whole thing and then kind of get more and more detailed and sort of render in. I, I do I talk a lot about doing kind of rough sketches. Like okay, we're just going to sketch this bit out, do a very rough sketch, but just get something up on its feet, and then we can kind of keep kind of rendering it, coloring yeah, like it in until just no, yeah, just do. I just do it. But I then think I that's also a great strength of like um, what some something about. Um, being in the arts that you can bring to your life mm. is like yeah. other people might disagree. Like maybe I leave a train of carnage wherever I go. Hey, but I'm, I'm just like, a, let's do. Yeah. Let's just act. Yeah. And um, let's just try. And then we'll find and out when we'll we figure it out. Yeah. But I don't like to sit around and talk about it. I think that that is quite a oh. recent revelation for me, though. I think for a really long time, I was like, we can't possibly get up and do it because we don't know what we're doing. We need to talk about it loads and loads and loads and loads and loads. So that, I so that when we get up, we know what we're doing. And now, but also, I mean, I said that like that was a bad thing. I've been the assistant to directors who do that to great effect. They just get the actor to a point where they feel so confident about what this scene is through a series of writing things down and exercises and text work that by the time they get up and do it, there's not actually that much direction to do because okay. they've sort of done all the work. Yeah, um, I guess different people work in different ways. Yeah, and they really do. I think people's rooms are so different and short of assisting other directors, you don't really know how people's rooms work. So you just have to kind of hope that what you're doing isn't really fucking weird. Yeah. That you yeah. haven't sort of gone off piste without realising. <laughs> yeah, but there's not one way, is there? Like, no. If it works for you. Yeah, and I think that's, you know. But then I have like, you know, like, my friend Caroline does amazing things in the room. Like she gets them, she does this thing where she gets them to give notes to themselves and like kind of like, but in a in a in a really lovely safe environment. Because I went and watched a bit of her rehearsal once, and was just like, God, she's just made that feel so empowering. She gets some drawing stuff and going on little field trips for the day, and like you know, sort of really kind of gorgeous, kind of pedagogical kind of way of directing that is just like just yields such good results. And then I know other directors who work very, very methodically in a way that feels quite academic, in a way that feels maybe quite colder, and the results are also incredible. So, but they're trying to make different things. Probably. They're trying to make different things, and they, they're in it for different reasons. They, the benefit that they want to give to the audience is different, mm. or the, the idea of benefiting, giving something of benefit to the audience is maybe higher or lower on the, mm -hmm. you know, because also like some people just make art to make art, don't they? It's for the process. For the process, and that doesn't mean they're not artists. But their art isn't necessarily about where it hits people. Yeah. It's about making it, and people come to that. And about the experience that you've had. Yeah, exactly. Making, yeah. And that's going to have a really different kind. That's going to be a really different kind of work. For me, that's what it is. Rehearsals, they happen, and I think something. But like I say, that is that sounds really glib, but actually, I'm always I'm, I'm never cease to be amazed at the end of four weeks that we have a play. Like. I'm always like, how, when did we do that? It just happened. We just made, oh, we made a play. Mm. It's suddenly there's a play there. I'm amazed when any play or piece of theatre is ever any good because yeah. the number to of be people fair. and the number of factors mm -hmm. so and many the variables. amount of time that mm. you have. Like, and I know in Europe they have like more of a company system. And a lot longer so, to make it. A lot longer so that you're already bonded. Mm. Yeah. And you have this artistic practice as a group. Mm -hmm. I just think it's incredible that when you go and see a, a play and it's worked, I'm like, you guys are amazing. But also everything must have fallen in place. It must have been the yeah. right team. must have been the right piece, the mm -hmm. right time. 
but there are so many variables. So many variables. So many people, so many creative people with all of their different yeah. Stuff, um, energies, and yeah, and just yeah. Wow, I'm, I'm. And you can try and captain that ship as a director as best as you possibly can. Sometimes it's just a really impossible ship. <laughs> You're just like, well, I did what I could. Yeah. Land ho! I just I'll try and captain it. Guys, we talk about reviews in this next section and something that I thought it might be useful for you to know because I'm not sure, we, we reference it but I'm not sure we quite sort of explain it fully um, is the idea of previews and press night so basically when a play opens there's usually about a week of previews which means that um, the play is still being tweaked so the actors and director will meet during the day and rehearse following the performance and make some changes so it's like getting the play up on its feet in front of an audience um, but still being able to change things if you need to um, in rehearsals the next day and then about a week in you have what is called press night which is when the show officially opens the reviewers come in the reviews are published the next day and from then on the director is out pretty much they might come every now and again during the run to watch but there are no more changes there are no more rehearsals so the show is very much locked in from that point and like i said the reviews come in the next morning after what is usually um a wine-fueled party the night after the, the press night show so that gives a little bit of context of what we're talking about and why that night press night is like particularly pressured and stressful for directors and for the cast and for everyone involved in the play really like the, the feeling on that oh, on first preview it's disgusting it's disgusting <laughs> i hate it so much and then what are you doing when it you're gets, watching it you're making notes. and then it gets better and better and better and then press night comes and it's the most disgusting okay because as much as you don't care what people think, well, it's just like whatever everyone, what everyone else thinks of it, they're not going to tell you. But yeah. those guys are going to tell the national press, I know, it's awful. who are then going to print it. It's awful, yeah. um, and also because even if you don't care about reviews, enough people do that it yeah. will change the way people come to your and the the kind of ingredient the audience will bring in will be different if they've heard it's Definitely. shit. If it's brilliant or if it's not great. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I don't know, you go and see Hamilton and everyone in that room is just so excited to be at Hamilton that actually those actors they, could those actors could come out and do work. nothing yeah. and we would still be like, that was amazing. Yeah, but I also think with reviews, like, people aren't going to read it as forensically as you are and it's not yeah. going to read as badly to them mm -hmm. as it is to you. And also, you're so, I mean, I, I, always, I try really hard, though I have failed miserably on the Chichester show to not read the reviews or at least not to read them for a while because at the point where they come out you are at your absolutely most vulnerable you're the most you're exhausted you've like everyone gets really tense and anxious in kind of tech and previews there's a thing that I think sometimes actors have a tendency to do which I really understand because it comes with a place of fear where they suddenly all go I don't know what I'm doing in this scene and you're like, what? I don't understand how you don't know what you're like. This, this, this has never made sense to me. And you're kind of going, oh, I don't know how to fix it. Now, like, so things that people have always been very secure about, suddenly they're very insecure about. And maybe that's because you've been a terrible director and you haven't directed it properly. Or maybe they're just freaking out and you'll never know <laughs> which one it is. Mm. Um, so everyone's anxious. 
people have cried people who've seemed nothing but robust and confident the entire way through suddenly seem panicked and people who always know their lines suddenly don't know their lines mm. and me who's I feel like I know what the show's about and suddenly maybe I don't know what the show's about and the ideas that I had right at the beginning of the rehearsal process that I thought would be great suddenly I think look shit on stage and people are coming to see it and you don't know how they feel and you don't know if you're doing it right so all that's gone on you've not slept because also and also you're working really mad days because you're rehearsing in the day and doing the show, shows in the evening and then then people come and you're hungover yeah you're hungover as well because you've just been at a press night. Yeah. So you're vulnerable and tired and hungover and then you turn on your phone to see what someone has said about the last five weeks of your life or more likely three months of your life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's someone you don't know. Someone you don't know. Someone whose opinion you don't even really Yeah, whose opinion you may expect. Yeah, whose opinion you may not rate, but whose opinion you know will have a significant impact yeah. on at the very least your actor's experience of doing that show every night. Yeah. Do you and tell them don't read the reviews? There's no point because they'll read them if they're review readers and they won't if they aren't. People have their own people have their strategy and like Petra who's the one actor in Rally Service Two shows one had 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 fifteen people in it, including the choir, and then the other show had one actress in it and she does not read reviews mm. so she she kind of enough people have been like oh the show's going well for her to have a sense by like week two that it must have been reviewed well but she still didn't read them until she had she had no idea the kind of hit that she was mm. until she finished the show and i think also we played like that we played to quite small houses so i think she was she was a bit like well it's not sold out so it's probably not that do you know what i mean i think she sort of thought well maybe we you know she didn't know they were getting five stars all over the place but then some of the other actors, you know, they were up at, you know, they were up at 5am. Checking it. Checking Twitter, check, checking Twitter, oh. checking Twitter, check, you know, over and over again. And I didn't read the views, but then people text me them because they yeah. were quite good on that show. Yeah, they were great. But I mean, the thing is, if people leave those, then you have to, not, not that, but yeah. like, you have but to no, find I your think own, you do. You have yeah. to find your own way of mm. deciding whether something was good or not for you. Yeah. Because like... Not not that if you mm. believe the good ones, you have to believe the bad ones, because I think that's kind of nonsense. But more, just I think it is. But I also your think own, your own sense yeah, you have to be proud of it or not be proud of it. Like you have I to have think, your own standard of like measuring. Yeah, like the show I did, the Young Vic didn't press, and I think it, I don't know if it would have pressed very well. And I thought it was great. Like you know, yeah. I was really happy with that. The show at the gate that I did pressed fine, fine to good. But I felt very convinced about that one, and I—I mm. I don't know. I think I don't know. I think I do think with the reviews, generally speaking, you can get. Whilst individual reviews might be complete horseshit, I think if you look at all the reviews of a show as one kind of group, they're generally right. Like, do you know what I mean? If all of them come in as generally kind of, if there is if it's five stars across the board for a show, it's probably all right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's probably basically good, at the yeah. very least. And if it's one stores across the board, you could probably assume it's not great. Yeah, but you would know that Yeah. already. I mean, if it's one star. Yeah. I reckon it's a kind of the three-star one that I've been most confused about. Yeah. Because one star, if it's getting one star, you know, mm. as somebody that's involved in that project, it's yeah. not good. Yeah. Like, if it's getting five stars, you're probably really pleased with it. Mm. Yeah, that's true. For your own reasons that may yeah. not have anything to do with what we're But those middly ones get really... It will have a confidence and a thrust that will yeah. like mean that people will respond to it in a great way. I've always felt like... Three I'm... stars is like, I don't know what... <laughs> yeah. 
the yeah <laughs> the show that I've had three stars the, there's a show that I got most it got actually got a couple it got full it got like a few four star reviews but of course I only remember that it got three star reviews yeah. and one two star review but the um I know right that was the first one that came out oh no and I was just like oh great oh great brilliant but I am um, but all those reviews were either this play is not very good but Tinica Craig made a production that is so brilliant that I almost forgive that the play isn't very good but it's not very good so I can't give it one point but Tinica Craig is my god she's really come in here and done something or they were this play is one of the best plays I've ever seen ruined by Tinica Craig's <laughs> useless direction and I would just be like which is it <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that great yeah, I mean, I don't know, look, you can't yeah, take them too... supposed to learn from Yeah, I mean, look, you can't take them too seriously, of course you can't. Maybe that's what you learn now. Yeah. Oh, like... uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't live and die by them, but the reason that I brought it up is we talk about that kind of, like, the horrible feeling of mm. first preview and the even more horrible feeling of press night. Because on first preview, you can fix it, right? Yeah. So, like, if something happens and you don't love it, you can be like, it's okay. Or you love it, but it's not hitting. The next day and yeah, exactly. And we'll talk about it, and I'll go. This worked, and this didn't work. And you're watching the audience and seeing how they're reacting to it, and you're making a decision as to how much their reaction matters to you, and then you're fixing or not fixing accordingly. But press night, that's it. Like that's the work. That's the work that you made. So also, like you're just nervous because it's the last time you. It's the. It's it's the end. It's the end of your process. It's the end of your creative process, and whatever. Because after press night, the director. Yeah, you go home. Yeah. You go back to your house, and maybe you, maybe you see it twice over the course of a four week run. Maybe you've got an assistant who's watching it more, but you're not watching it that much. Like, and at what point, like after that process is done, do you think that you can have like a useful reflection on it? I don't think I am. Yeah, I feel like I'm just at a point now where I could have a useful reflection about that show, and that show opened in May. Wow. So I and think it's a reflection of like whether you felt it was successful. Yeah. By your terms. Yeah, Katie Mitchell, the director, like really advises a proper sit down for yourself with your laptop or a notepad, like a couple of months after you've closed it, and write down like everything that you evaluate. learned about, like evaluate yourself, which I've never fully managed to like successfully do in quite such a rigorous and organised way. But mm. I think I, I mean, had a debrief with the artistic director of that theatre a couple of days ago. And so I could talk about how I felt about that show. And I think you do, yeah, I think I need a couple of months. Because also, like, one thing that I've really been struck by is how exhausted I am after a show and for how long I'm exhausted. Because I think in my head, I'm like, oh, well, you do the show, there's a press night, maybe take 10 days off, then you go back to work. But I'm honestly tired, like, for the month after a show, I'm knackered. Yeah. I'm just knackered. So I think you need time to become not tired anymore. Martin talked about an emotional hangover. Yes, I'm completely... When I heard about that, it pretty much changed my life. Because, yeah. Um, because it's like, it's, if you've made, basically if you've made yourself vulnerable, mm -hmm. there will be a hangover. Yeah, there has to be. And that might last. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what the feeling mm. is. Like, I don't know if that's what, you, it's probably a bunch of other things that are going on with you. I think it's show, physically like, um, you're running on a, as a director especially, I think because you're, 
because you're to some extent always you're performing all the time right you're in the you're on you're, you're, on. Charge, you're in the room the kind of acting a little bit as Tinu the director all the time yeah. sort of performing all the time I mean you see it with choir we'll do choir and I'll be like Ugh! and then as soon as choir finishes I'll be like oh, I'm absolutely exhausted yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's the last eight hours a day running the show bring the and being that person and bringing that energy and running that room and having the ideas when the actor says help me I don't know what to do yeah. and sometimes the answer is neither do I let's work it out and that sometimes works and sometimes actors want to punch you in the face when you say that but there's a you're doing that every day for I know we had we had a long time on Random Generations because it was two shows five and a half weeks I think we had on that which is really long but we yeah I think by the time you're also like people are judging your work people come in and give you notes while they're doing while you're in rehearsals if you do a run of the rehearsals like the, produ the, pro the producer will come in and watch a run of the show or like you mm -hmm. know people want answers you have to you're also designing you're not doing that you're not designing the lighting but you need to sit down with the lighting designer and say this is what i want it to feel like and this is what i mean mm -hmm. so you're articulating so many things so many people you've got to have a big picture idea and a detailed idea all the time and then you press it and you sit watching it with like you know your heart rate at you know, some stupid cardio level for the entire duration right. of the show. Partly because of you're worried about what people are going to think of your work, but you're also like, especially with Random, it was a one-woman show, I was just sat there just willing her to have, like, the best show she could possibly mm. have. Because also, like, you're trying to look after your actors, you're trying to provide a certain amount of pastoral care, mm. depending on the kind of company you have mm. and what they need. Yeah, and so you're just, need. like, you're just, you're, you're just using a lot of energy for the duration of the rehearsal process. Mm. And you're not sleeping. When you get home, you're thinking about the show. When you wake up, you're thinking about the show. Do you have any? It's awful to go out with the director. That, you <laughs> that particular kind of hell yeah. to go out with, uh, yeah. Do you have any like um, habits to or things to help you deal with that? Like, for mm. example, do you do like morning pages, or do you have yeah. to make sure that you do meditate, or just make sure that you exercise? I have Every to, day or, yeah. Do you I, have little things that you rely on to keep yourself thing, well? One thing that I did a lot on the last show, I should say, like, I'm so early career, I've done four professional shows, three really, so it's all very new. But on the last show, I did make a real effort to do like a have like a proper bedtime routine, mm. like a proper, like, I'm not going to look at any screens from now on, I'm going to have a bath. I'm going to put on like some nice music and I'm going to do some stretching and maybe some yoga. I'm going to mm. read my book for a little bit. And try and... And just try and have a really good night's sleep because yeah. I'm quite a fitful sleeper if I'm worried about stuff. So that's, there's a bit of that. And, and try and also, stop thinking about the play? Try and stop thinking about the play and like, Josh, my partner's really good at being like, let's go for a walk and just talk about like other stuff. Yeah. Which I'm always very resistant to do. I was like, no, I can't possibly have too much to do and I always fall. Endlessly. You must be thinking about it all the time. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, I'm not I'm really. Otherwise, I'm being lazy as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always feel so much better after I've done a little walk around the block with Josh mm. talking about anyone's nonsense. Yeah. Like that always really helps. Exercise does help when I can have the. Yeah, when I manage to get up early enough to exercise. But sleep becomes the most important. But sleep becomes more important. But if I but I do feel better if I've managed to get up, and go to the gym or go for a run. That does set me up quite well. Eating mm. really well. I now eat really well when I'm in rehearsals because mm. I just get tired. I'm, I've got such a like because the constant like reliance dependence on your creativity. Like I hadn't really mm. considered that because in what I do, it's so solitary most of the time. 
yeah. that like nobody has to nobody's re- relying on my creativity except me nobody, nobody's right, yeah. gonna ask me like yeah. what do you think about this or yeah. what, do, what am I doing here like they might you know if I'm working on a collaborative mm. project or when you're in the studio you have to do that but like when I'm making the thing yeah it's just me and if if I'm having a funky day or whatever that's only me that has to deal with that or yeah. I can put it aside or you know yeah whereas there's a real pressure on you to be the creative force mm. when when everybody else's creativity is zapped or whatever yeah be like Tinny you're supposed to know yeah Tinny what have an hear? idea what's the idea yeah and I've yeah and I yeah I hate it but which I, is why yeah. sometimes I and I do and I do like as an act of self-care and also for the good of a show yeah I do quite often go let's go home yeah like yeah, yeah. much more than I think a lot of my peers do that's partly out of a sense of panic, but it's also out of a sense of like, look. No, sometimes the best thing you do for your work is rest. Everybody go home, yeah. learn your lines, see you in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think. And you come in refreshed and your brain is, yeah. I mean, you can't work on a frazzled brain. No, you can't. And I definitely can't. I don't work well under pressure. I think lots of people do. But I do. Don't. Well, yeah, maybe they I don't. I don't know. They just, maybe people just. People just say they do cope with it better or thrive or people, with it. I don't know if they make better stuff necessarily. Yeah. Or people have to work under pressure so they just help themselves if they have to uh-huh. work well under pressure. Yeah. yeah. What is the biggest challenge about being an artist for you? biggest challenge about being an artist for me right now right now is about okay so specifically for me right now it's about not taking on too much mm. um i've like hit a really nice career moment which may or may not last where lots of people want me to do lots of stuff okay oh, that's really nice and i know that that's it's a kind of a famine and a feast world and but i have to remember that i can't do that if I'm doing a lot of stuff I can't do any of it well mm. and that's uh, because also like despite the fact I've just talked about how how seemingly horrible directing is I am really addicted to it mm. and managing that addiction is really hard mm. but also um, yeah I think just uh, the biggest challenge is making the work is trying to work out what you really like fundamentally in yourself and your own taste and sort of distilling your own taste over and above what people are saying is kind of cool right now mm. I think or yeah. what you think you're I have to I, have, I mean I'm, I can't I do I do I never fall into this trap but I do regularly nearly fall into this trap which is making the kind of work that I think my director friends will think is cool <laughs> like, right. and I think and then I have to be like no do the kind of work that you actually want to make because specific people often in your head yeah it's like two like i'm saying my director friends but i'm thinking of two people like <laughs> two people who i want to think that i'm really good popped, in, popped into your head my god judging you when they never have in real life never ever ever yeah, yeah. but you know thing. maybe we're that for someone maybe there's someone who thinks oh, that about I us so. i can't think who that would be but then i guess that's the point but um because it's not yeah real it's a projection because it's a projection yeah so that's really interesting that holding on to figuring out what it is that you what yeah that is and what you really like what is, yeah because i think you know you sit in a you sit in a theater and you watch a piece of theater with a bunch of directors or a bunch of artists that you would respect and they go that was amazing 
and it's really easy to go I guess it was I guess that is what is amazing yeah I guess if I want to be amazing I better make work like that given that yeah. that's the amazing thing yeah and then you have to go what do you think is amazing really and maybe it's that or maybe it's not as in what what moves you yeah what moves you or what's good like the what is the good currently mm. in I don't know in the zeitgeist mm. I don't know there's quite a lot of um a couple of years ago, and I think still now, we got like as an industry, we got really into European stuff. The yeah. big inverted commas around that stuff that feels really European was better. If something was made in Berlin, it was better. All the best theatre is in Berlin. Sometimes I think that's true, but also I think we sort of, as a, as a, as a kind of industry, there then was a sort of like a need for everyone to be making work that sort of looked a bit like the kind of work you might see at the Schaubühne. Which isn't the same as making work with the rigour and specificity and cultural landscape that those people working at the Schaubühne have. It's just going, it seems like in Germany they really like it when it rains, so now we're just going to have everything rain in our plays because mm. that's good. That's good theatre now. Mm. Um, and sometimes it is good theatre, it comes with know, it comes with the rigour and the understanding and the sense of what is going to be beneficial about that decision in this play. Mm. But I think we did go through a real phase of like floodlights and animal heads because mm. we heard that floodlights and animal heads were cool. Yeah, and finding your <laughs> voice. Yeah, and was your idea. voice in it? Like, what? Are you, what yeah. are you? I mean, that's such a massive yeah. artistic journey, isn't it? Yeah, and I know. Yeah, I am nowhere near what my voice is today. I was doing a workshop with National Youth Theatre, and of course they had a Q and A and always get asked what kind of thing do you direct do you do you direct which is a completely reasonable question but like i don't know the answer to that yeah. you know and i totally understand why someone would ask that because well they just want to know it's like just want to know. Know so what, what kind of music do you make yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and they want you to give them like genre but also in other professions other artistic professions it is slightly easier to give a genre even though like mm. that artist mm. might say it's a lot more complicated than that and they're right but, it's vaguely in this. but vaguely yeah. to look at it you could be like that person is a jazz musician mm, or yeah. that person is an impressionist painter mm. whereas i think it's really hard to say the kind of director you are yeah or the kind of plays you direct especially because i'm increasingly we all do whatever we can we all want to try i'm very greedy i mm. kind of want to do everything and also sometimes it's, it's hard for you to spot that about yourself yeah i reckon like um other people might spot those trends. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's an interesting thing is to ask yeah. ask your um, That's peers very true. that you trust. Yeah. If you could describe what I bring to a project, what is it? If you could describe That's true. Strengths, I have a friend who... Quite, oh, God. I don't know. You know, you could put... Yeah. Well, I'm not asking you that now. Yeah, but what but is like, it? You could... I could find out. Pop out an email to, like, mm. five of your trusted... Oh, maybe I'll do friends. that as, a, as an exercise. Make myself very vulnerable. I, um, I've got a friend who recently said, you know, I don't really have a style. And who you're like, to me is the most kind of aesthetically specific. She has an aesthetic. Right. Like I can tell that that is a show by her but she can't within see seconds of watching it. I'm like that's very very her, yeah. and it's beautiful and brilliant. And she's really brilliant. Yeah. But I was I couldn't believe that she couldn't see why all her work is so fundamentally her. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. and then I thought, my God, maybe we all. If she can't see that about her work that I think I could look a pitch, at, a, at a still picture from any of her plays and know she directed it. I was just like, well, then 
who, who knows? Who, knows? who, the, fuck knows? who the fuck knows? My <laughs> final question is, um, oh yeah, there are two ways of phrasing this, right? Mm-hmm. Number one, what advice would you give to somebody starting out? Mm-hmm. Um, which is maybe actually I think would would elicit a different response from another way of phrasing it, which mm-hmm. is this: if you could go back in time mm-hmm. to I don't know what seventeen-year-old Tinu, mm-hmm. and give her some advice or tell her something that you know it would be really yeah. for her to know. I think I would have. Oh yeah, it's different. Yeah, it was different. It's quite different, isn't it? I think the advice I would give somebody is. Um, Go and see loads of stuff, partly because it's good to be in the know, but more so that you can get really specific about what you like and really specific about what you've seen, I think. Like, I think for a long time, I would just watch stuff and be like, it was good, I liked it. It took me a really long time to be like, what I like about this show is, or what I've learned from this piece of theatre is this, or what this showed me is that I don't respond particularly to blah. Like, I think... I think that's really important, although I, mm. I say that slightly hesitantly because I think what has happened to me and to a lot of my peers is that we can't just watch theatre like a punter, like we can't just oh, enjoy. No, I think that should have stayed. Yeah, it's long gone. But assuming, yeah, and maybe that's the advice, like, look, now that you're a director, you're never going to be able to enjoy a play, like, when you were six and you saw Starlight Express, so you might as well learn some stuff from it and get really specific in your analysis, Yeah, I think. And keep what, like... Yeah. Journal, like, yeah, like I like write it down or like make sure that you talk to somebody about what you saw and think about like the craft behind it, like what did you see, what was happening there and what about it did you think was really so that you're not just going, I like I really like so and so's work, I just think it's really brave. You're saying, I really like so and so's work, I think it's really brave in the way that he or she does. Yeah. Yeah, I that's really I find that really hard and I feel like if I'm still learning how to do that and it's something mm-hmm. that I wish I could have learned earlier. But if I was going to give advice to 17-year-old Tinu, it would probably be something like, listen, you're really confident now and you're not going to be quite soon for quite a long time. So, buckle up. But also, (laughs) (laughs) but also, um, I think I would say like, don't be scared to ask for help from your peers I think that like your peers are the most exciting resource that you have in terms of your craft but also in terms of your development as a human being so rather than shutting yourself off and only revealing yourself to the world when you're around people who are much older than you much more experienced than you and getting your validation from being around people who seem quite successful it's maybe you should sit and talk to someone who's exactly where you are now because that's going to be a lot more interesting, ultimately, in the long run, in terms of your development as an artist and as a human being, and you'll probably be happier as well. I think that's what I would say. That's such good advice! I think that's what I would say. That is such good advice. Specifically to a 17-year-old Tinu, yeah. but maybe to everybody. Because there's a bit, there's like quite a lot of um, fear mm. around your peers. Yeah. I want to close myself off from them. Yeah. I, I, I want to... Um, yeah. It's very vulnerable yeah. and like it's competitive. Yeah, and, and I think directing is especially competitive yeah. because I think as a as an actor, you watch someone else doing a bit of acting and you might think, oh yeah, I could have done that, but you also know you would have done something quite differently. And there's all sorts of reasons why people get parts and you don't get them. As a writer, I think this is maybe why writers often at least appear to be the most chilled out and least competitive. I'm not sure they have their own shit. 
they couldn't have written what that person, they don't want to write what that person wrote. Mm. So they can just appreciate everything really objectively. Mm. Directors, hey, anyone could have got their job. So there's this sort of constant feeling yeah. of like, what have I done that? I mean, I could have done it for that. I would have entirely different, but it could have been me. Yeah. Um, and we have an, you know, look, we live in, we live under capitalism, which encourages competition all the time. And I think the, the, the more you can, the more you can crush that, the better. I feel like I'm quite good at that now. I feel like I don't compete very often. And I don't like myself when I find myself going down that road. Mm. But I think I would have benefited from getting that work from where I would go. Mm. I think it's such good advice. I feel like I sounded like quite a prick doing that. What? Why? <laughs> I'm just kind of like, I'm super confident and I had an amazing time being a teenager and also. Yeah, but teenagers are really confident. And also, what is wrong with being a confident woman? Literally nothing. That's, look at that, that's a patriarchy right there. Making exactly. Apologising that I like myself. Fuck that. That's how we get here. <laughs> anyway, thank you. I think that was wonderful advice. I needed to hear that. Um, so thank you. And thanks for like, yeah, thanks for just like explaining, explaining what you actually do today. <laughs> <laughs> There's no context in which I can be Every like, time I see I'm like, oh, I'm so exhausted. You're like, why? And, and I'm just thinking like, what does she do? And it's too late to ask now. <laughs> It's like if you've been like mispronouncing someone's name for yeah. a really long time and it's like, well, I'm I can't. just gonna call her mate yeah. for the next fifteen years. Exactly. Or like if you like or like I've been people pronounce my name wrong quite a lot and there are people in my life who I'm just like, Well, that's just what they call me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too late to say it's actually too late. Anyway, so the post office thinks I'm called Melanie. Brilliant. And I love it because I go there all the time to post CDs and he's adorable and it's really lovely to have somebody local that you can chat to and you know Absolutely. about position and I know about his kids yeah. and it's lovely. And it's rare he's to get that in a big He's just decided city. I'm called Melanie until one day I went in to get currency and um, they have to wear the FC driving life and everything mm-hmm. and he went, oh, oh, it's, it's Marie. Still not right, but quite. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, uh, y- yeah. And I was like, oh God. It's been two years, like, and he's like, "Oh, what did I think? I think I thought you were called like." And I was like, "Melanie, yeah." And he was like, "Oh, okay, Marie, okay, okay, I'll remember." Brilliant. And then, of course, the next time it's like, "Hi, Melanie." Hi, Mel. <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, fine." Send him Christmas cards. Love, Mel. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then I took my mum in recently, <laughs> and I was like, "Like, mum, just FYI, I'm Melanie. I'm called Melanie." <laughs> <laughs> just go with it, mum. Yeah. Don't rock the boat. That was the final episode of this series of the Chosen Daughter podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I've really enjoyed doing this. I feel like I learned a lot. It's good to talk to artists from different disciplines to your own. There's a lot to learn. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you to Tinu, Tinuka Craig, for talking to me. She is at Tinu Craig on Twitter. Thank you, Greenwood Side, for the support and help and for hosting the podcast. You can find me on social media at Mazo O'Connor on Twitter, at Mazo O'Connor Music on Facebook and Instagram. In February, I'm going on tour. I'm coming to Cambridge, Sheffield, Barrow, Cardiff, Walton-on-Thames and Milton Keynes, mazoconnor.com for more details. The music you can hear on this podcast has been instrumental versions of tracks from my new album, Chosen Daughter, which is out now. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>